LA is such a unique and awesome place for tech, kind of because of all of the non-tech industries that are here. Like I'm not here because of tech. I'm here because of the fashion industry and building tech with that. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of the show. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Brian Switchko of One Inc. We are a creative cohort and storytelling studio based in Los Angeles. I've been a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast since the beginning. I've been a member of the We Are LA Tech community since the beginning. I am so happy and grateful to have known Esprit and watched the genesis of both. Um, but I've remained a listener because of the warmth that she shares with her listeners and her audience, but also the space that she makes uh, for her, her guests and the stories that come from that. And then also to know that those stories aren't just stories, they aren't just content. Uh, they're a part of a community, and that community is something that can be experienced in so many different ways. And the times that I've been able to meet other people and connect with them from the community have resulted in meaningful relationships and potent business partnerships. And you know, at so many situations where I can track back person to person, situation to situation over months and years, um, and and just point to as free as the catalyst for for what you know you look back and it's just it's just magic. Uh, I'm so happy and grateful for Esprit and the We Are LA Tech community. I will continue listening, participating, and happily cheering for a very long time to come. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Good morning, afternoon, or night. For me, at 6.45 in the morning, I just woke up. And I'm just trying to think about how I'm organizing the day. The mornings are usually, like, it's dicey. Sometimes they're really easy, and sometimes they're really hard. This morning, I feel, is one of the more complicated ones. And it's usually a headspace thing. And I find if I wake up, And I just like get out of bed and I have like, I know it sounds cheesy, but I have like a headspace of gratitude Then I'm, I'm good and I'm on it. But if I wake up and I go to my phone and look at my apps and maybe linger and don't get out of bed right away and then start to think about everything that I have to do, then I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't get out of this bed. And so It's just so important, like the messages that I tell myself in my head really kind of dictate how my day will go. And so it's something I've been reflecting on and how much control do I have over that? And and can I start becoming really intentional with, with how I wake up and how I think and kind of like start to create the program for my brain. I know, so, so cheesy. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to 
the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Culver City. Welcome, Trisha. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. Well, I am CEO of Modern Brands. Modern Brands is a, uh, lack of better term, a WordPress or a Canva for fashion. What we do is we help you create fashion products kind of from start to finish in a much easier way. And we're working to digitize every type of fashion product in the world and put it into our tool. Walk us through that a little bit more. Like you have a membership model, like, okay, so going to the site and we're like, we're interested in fashion. Is that the first thing? Like we are interested in fashion. Is that number one? Yes. Okay. And then what happens? You have to be somebody who is either designing fashion, a factory making fashion, somebody who wants to maybe start a brand, but we're not talking about like custom ink. We're not like slap a screen print on a t-shirt type of thing. What we're doing is we're actually, we build fashion brands. So you would come to the site, you would sign up, you would get access to all of the blocks. So far we have about 500 and we just launched our MVP. More are coming. We have a lot more in the works. You basically start with a base, kind of the same way if you go to Canva and you get a, you know, a design for a header or a brochure, you would come in here and you could pick out a really cool uh, summer dress. And then you would go through the whole process of choosing the fabrics, the trims. It shows you options for all sorts of different countries. We now work with Turkey, China. We work in India and we also work with USA. And we source all the materials. We do all the patterning, all the tech packs, all of the everything that goes into creating this garment is kind of put into this system so that you can point and click your way through. You can then go straight to production, but you can also exit out in a lot of different ways, depending on what your company needs. If you were a brand, for instance, that needed to start from scratch and you just were looking for a production vendor, wanted your pricing right away, you could go through the whole process. But maybe you're a brand that's already in the works and you just need a base, like you're a denim company and you want to make a sweatshirt and you don't have a sweatshirt pattern yet. Come here, get a sweatshirt, pull it down. You can download the pattern, you can download the tech pack, you can download... 3D file. If you want a 3D file, we make everything like really chunked out so that it works in your system instead of forcing you to like come be in our system the whole time. And then we take a lot of this information and we turn it into open source JSON code because we want to interface with all of the new kind of fashion technologies that are building. It's probably surprising to a lot of people, but there are no physical base level products to start with. So For instance, you want to make a denim jacket and you're a company, you're like, I want to make a denim jacket. What the process is now is you go to the market, you buy a denim jacket, you bring it back and either your pattern maker makes a pattern kind of based off of that and you change it or you send that jacket over to a factory overseas and you say, I want to make a jacket like this, but like this. And that's how you do a denim jacket. And that's how every brand does it. There's no place to just go get like a standard denim jacket file. So that's what we're building. If you're going to the Fashion Institute or like one of these schools for fashion, because I don't know much about fashion, would this be an amazing companion to as you're going through school, developing your fashion career? Should should we go to you first? I mean, you could come to me instead. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. Like, say it like it is. If you're like, there's no need to go to those. Yeah. 
No, it's always good to like, you know, learn how to draft the patterns or how to do this stuff. But in all honesty, the the whole reason I'm building this is I spent majority of my life as a as a product developer. And if you don't know what a product developer in fashion is, it's it's a lot like a product developer in tech. But a product developer in fashion is the person who kind of routes everything. So they take the design, they get the factory, and they get the salespeople, and they get the production people all kind of in order, and they push things through. I did that in technical design for a long time. And a lot of times, it's designers and factories. And so designers talk to the factories, we want this. And factories are like, well, we can make this. And then this this whole, it takes six months to develop a collection because there's all this stuff in the middle of figuring it out. And that's kind of when you make anything. It just always struck me as funny that we were constantly kind of making the same thing as the fashion industry. We're always all guided by the trends. Nobody owns pants. Everybody makes pants. You know, it's not like these things are proprietary necessarily. That's not what makes it fashion just because you make a pair of bell bottoms. It's the fabric you make it in, the brand uh, messaging that you do you know, the quality that you make it in, how you sell it, what you sell. So why are we like always starting from scratch? It drove me crazy. And there's always all these problems all the time. And I'm not saying that our thing like erases all problems in production, because obviously, (laughs) there's all sorts of stuff that can go wrong as you're producing. But it takes so much time to start from scratch. And I didn't go to fashion school myself. I got accepted to a lot of them and couldn't go because of where I was in my life at that time. When I was young, I didn't live with my parents and all this other stuff. But I got into fashion kind of through a manufacturing way. And I now work with lots of interns from fashion schools. And it kind of drives me crazy how much they don't connect what they're designing to like how people actually make it. And I've worked in roles where I've just constantly traveled around the world and seen factories and kind of the most talented people are the ones making the garments in, in many cases. And so I'm just trying to fill that that connect for people. And I think if you were going to go to fashion school and you wanted to just focus on the design, well, our system lets you do that. But then if you want to also, you know, get further into it and get into what are the specs, what does the pattern look like? How do we work with the 3D files? Our system has all of that in the back end, but we're definitely doing the hard work for everybody. And what inspired you to create modern brands? Did you just wake up one Wednesday and you're like, I got to create this thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of, but it was like many, many, many Wednesdays ago. So um, <laughs> I had a company when I was 20 called Potential Fashions, where we took old clothes and cut them into new clothes. It's now like this whole cool trend. But back then it was like weird we were doing that. And I was like, this is so cool. I can start templatizing these patterns. And then I started working in the industry and just saw how crazy everything was. And so one point I switched over to kind of tech and I built out a company um, with a co-founder called The Coterie. It was the first company I was part of, the first tech company. And we kind of built it almost like a Teespring on crack kind of deal. It was like, you could go in and choose every part of the t-shirt and we were crafting these out. Then I worked at another startup that was kind of digitizing it, but it was more of the whole production process on the back end. And then when that one went under, I was kind of like, why am I doing this with people? I know what I want to build. So I just started building it myself. But yeah, it's definitely been built out of a need that I had. And when did you first become interested in technology? I had been laid off from my fifth fashion design job. Stop. And I started... 
Wait, you were laid off from five? Yes. Before I was, I was like, probably, I was under 30 for sure. Oh, that is so inspiring. I love going down this pathway because I think our lives are filled with these experiences of like acceptance and rejection. And sometimes when there's a lot of rejection, we start to question our value and question our worth. So I love that we're going down this way because here you just shared, and I'm so excited to get into it, that you were laid off from five jobs and then you went on to like create this amazing company. So please, yes, share about the layoffs. (laughs) So inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. No, fashion is kind of a crazy business. I mean, it's pretty volatile. And I, I used to work in activewear specifically. I was in Denver, Colorado at the time. So there's not a whole lot of fashion either. I'll just be really honest. My fashion was like, you know, building bicycle pants for guys. I had gone through many different technical design and product developer jobs and I got laid off and I was just like, this is kind of dumb. I'm just going to start a company and start helping people do this. So I started freelancing and building tech packs and meeting people and teaching them how to source their fabrics. And I got involved with the Denver Design Incubator. And through that, I got a job at a video game company that made products for video game stuff like clothing for Mass Effect and, uh, you know, other things. And he kind of pulled me off the market. by giving me this like big contract and then regretted it because I worked so fast that I didn't have any more work to do. So he put me on this side project where he was building a Teespring-like app. The other person building it was um, a, a woman named Charlotte and she was the CTO and her and I just sat down and within two weeks we had it wireframed and we're like building it. So then I just became co-founder and we kind of took off with it. And that was my first introduction to tech. Throughout the journey of your career, what would you say is a huge obstacle you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh, well, so like the thing you were saying about how there's always these like negative moments and they turn into good moments. So that's just kind of a constant in life. I'll tell you the the startup I moved out to LA for kind of crashed and burned when a customer didn't pay them $2 million dollars annihilated the company. Everybody got laid off and everyone was super mad, but I kind of wasn't. I was kind of like, okay. But I think that's because I had gone through like an industry like fashion where I'd been laid off multiple times and I was like, okay, shit happens. I don't know. And you know, startups are like that. I think I just thrive in that environment. And so what I did when that happened is I just told them, hey, you guys owe me some money. Why don't I just take the sample room I built for you? And, and then I took it and I took three of the employees and I went down the street and I started an agency. And that's how I started Modern Brands is I started the agency first, tested it out and kind of stealth in the back end. And then pandemic was coming but I didn't know that. This is the luckiest thing that's probably happened oh, wow. in my Tell whole me. life. So um, I had this whole little small factory because we adopted it and moved it down the street and we were going and I was at this place in my business where I had to kind of choose, do I want to be more of a factory and keep this going and like hire more sewers and make this work? Or do I want to build this tech thing that I've been in love with for years and years and years that I've been wanting to build? I just kind of was like, you know what, I'm just done. I don't want to do the factory anymore. So the three people that I brought with me were sewing members, sewing team. And I gave them the factory and they now have their own small production unit in LA because I gave them all the machines and everything that I had used my back pay for. So that's great. I still work with them, but I was able to come home and 
you know, work from home, I was having a baby and then the pandemic hit. So it, like all three of those things kind of converged and it could have been really bad, but I just took it as a really awesome time to like, you know, sit in my office and work really hard on my tech. And I then went searching for my co-founder and eventually found her after lots of dumpster fire angel list tech bro interviews. <laughs> so yeah, that's, you know, you just like have to ride the waves of the ups and downs. And I wouldn't have this company if the other company wouldn't have like gone out of business and completely fell apart. And that's what you have to do when you work. I think you have to do that when you work anywhere, but I think specifically I learned that lesson going through the layoffs in fashion and then going through the layoffs in tech and always working for small to mid-sized companies and watching the owners, you know, it's a struggle to keep your company going. I'm curious, was there any pushback from the company that was folding when you're like, hey, you owe me money? First of all, did it take courage on your end to say, hey, you owe me money, why don't you give me this? And then when you asked for that, was there any pushback? No pushback because I think it was just an easy thing to do for them. I don't think it really took courage to say that because it's not that they weren't paying people. I think what I saw during that is I saw a bunch of people. So we were we were at our peak in that company. We were like a 50-person team. And towards the end, like it was, you could see it. The writing was on the wall. Then we knew the company didn't pay. And then everything kind of started unraveling. But some people were getting so, so, so pissed off. And it's like, you look at the founders and you look at the people working so hard in this company. And it's not to say that like people can't get pissed off or whatever. I just think that like nobody starts a company and like wants it to die. You know, (laughs) I felt so bad for the founder too, because like they were just scrambling, trying to get their stuff together. And, um, I think it does take courage, but I think also it just takes a certain mindset. You asked a question the other day on Twitter that I answered, which was like, you know, what's a good piece of advice? And one of my favorite things that somebody told me once when I was really young was always work like you own the company. And I just always do that. It's gotten me in trouble a lot. (laughs) For the most part, that's how I've always been working. I think that's a great approach to have. So how has it gotten you into trouble? I imagine it's gotten you into trouble. I'm just making a guess from a team standpoint, people maybe feel threatened or that you're stepping on their toes or am I totally off base? That probably did happen. Like when I was like higher up where I got in trouble with that mentality was more when I was um, like on the lower rungs working in fashion where I would be like an assistant or a technical designer or something like that. And people just wanted me to stay in my lane, you know? So it was like, if I'm in technical design and I'm asking a question about why production's paying a factory like this, or why are we doing this this way? And they're just like, I don't know, just sit down at your desk and do your job. And I, I did get told that once. And I was like, I don't want to sit at my desk. <laughs> I want to yeah. go over here. Yeah. Um, and I think some people are suited for that, like get get in their lane and just go really fast and really hard. And and but that's just not me. And maybe that's why I like owning companies is because, you know, you kind of have to stick your hand in every little lane and every little pot and bounce from here to there. Totally. And make sure everything's going and ask those questions. You know, I've had that, too. I've had I don't think I was aware of it at the time, but being that. I've been a founder the majority of my career. I've had that when I've worked at a job where 
I'm like, I don't get it. Like, what's the problem with me wanting to be useful across the board? <laughs> like, you know, so I, I can relate, but I didn't have that comprehension at the time. I was just really confused and like reflecting back. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I get, it. yeah, it's pretty much what you said. It would have been easier for others if I just stayed in my lane <laughs> for whatever reason. I think looking back to, I'm kind of like at, at one part of it, I'm like, okay, that was kind of lame that you told me to stay in my lane. But then looking back also in another way, I'm kind of like, okay, you kind of hired me to do this one job. <laughs> and I probably should have just been like really doing my job um, instead of worrying about all the other stuff. But um, I love it in my company when people ask questions about everything because nothing drives me a little more crazy than somebody just like, you know, pushing a button and being like, well, that's what I was told to do. So I would much rather the questions. Totally. Having been a founder the majority of my career, I also feel an allegiance to every founder. So I'm like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure the founder wins, which isn't the best. It's like you have to balance teammanship with that, it's like, it's super complicated. I don't know. I salute everyone who works in the large corporations of the world and has mastered like teammanship and balancing like all the things. It is a, a skill. <laughs> totally. And, and like, they know how to talk. Sometimes I feel like I just, because I've also been mostly in my own businesses, my career, I kind of just say whatever I want, whatever I want, however I want, you know, that's definitely a skill that I, 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 I don't know how long I would last in a corporate environment. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. What's the best piece of guidance that you think you've gotten throughout your career that's really helped you and stayed with you over the years? I don't know if it's necessarily guidance, but, you know, for many years I went in and out of working in fashion jobs and then doing my own thing where I'd have my own line or I had my own brand or I was doing something creative. And then I was always like paying the bills by waiting tables or, you know, doing those kinds of things. And I think until I, I got to one certain job where I worked at a restaurant and somebody actually took an interest in the creative stuff I was doing as well, I kind of just thought that that was the life of a creative, like that I was supposed to struggle so hard just to be able to have the privilege to do art. And I think some of that came from being in a, a blue collar family too, that I didn't really think I could turn it into something. And he was somebody who didn't go to college and worked in the restaurant industry and kind of brought himself along and realizing that he could be creative, but also combined all this creativity through business really started me kind of down the path of thinking about how can I do things where I'm not just working for this place and then being creative on the side and walking that line of I'm designing yoga pants, but I'm also making these crazy avant-garde like dresses and putting them on runways. So how, how do I like actually have a business that works? That's when I started getting into startups and started actually running businesses that actually made money and went places. And it, it was being able to learn that I could take that creativity and apply it to business principles and that it was okay, that everything would be fine and work out. I can work just as hard, but put all my energy towards business part of it and it would work out. So I don't know that he knows that he did that for me, but he did that for me. That's awesome. And how many people are on your team? We have four people on the team other than myself. And then we have 
a massive slew of contractors in, the, in fashion, graphic design, stuff like that, that we work with mostly in LA. Our entire team's women and we're kind of remote and all over the world. So uh, my CTO is based in Nigeria. Our front end developers in Nigeria. We have a 3D artist in Ireland. We have a person in New Jersey, a person in Alabama. We have two, three people here and just kind of where we find the contractors, a couple people in the Midwest. So yeah, it's really diverse and fun. And if you're comfortable, have you raised money or is this self-funded? What's the background on how it's able to exist? This week. Congratulations. This week we got our first check. Congrats. That's huge. I know it is. It's I haven't signed it yet, but we we got we got a commit this week and it was from um, somebody I'm I'm so blessed and excited to have joined us. They're kind of our first believers and it was exactly who I wanted to come in and it it's it's awesome. So other than that, we've been basically bootstrapped and self-built. And, and and then, you know, my husband and I put a little bit of our own money and savings into it. And um, that's that's how we got here. And you have a, a membership-based model, right? We have free memberships. So anybody can come in and get use of it. But the, the premium membership is where you get access to a lot more um, style blocks to use. And then we also do quite a bit of service. It's like a service marketplace because a lot of people think, oh, you're standardizing fashion. I don't need that. I'm a fashion designer. I don't need that. I can create my own. But that's kind of the exact reason why you need it. We're not coming in here to be like, this is how a denim jacket is made. We're coming in here to be like, here's a denim jacket, save a ton of time, a ton of money and start with a base. And then you can do whatever you want to it. So if you're somebody who doesn't know how to pattern make denim jackets or know how to do all of our prints or know how to source fabric or whatever it is, we can fill in the gaps for you. Um, or you can just go the whole way or you can just get the piece out that you yourself need in your workflow. And we're very much a B2B business. I guess I should make that clear for people who are brands, factories, anybody who's like a design freelancer. So I'm curious, were your investors in Los Angeles or were they outside of Los Angeles? And what has the fundraising process been like for you? I know when I was fundraising for my sports company, that is when I discovered fundraising on its own as a full-time job, which is very confusing because how are you supposed to continue to build and operate a company if you also have a full-time job fundraising? <laughs> but that is the way that it is. <laughs> so what was it like for you? And uh, was it LA? It's been kind of an interesting journey. So no, they're not from LA. They're based in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley specifically. I've had an interesting fundraising journey. Let's just say that. So I talked a little bit about how I came into a company. I came into this company off the heels of a, a, a startup that failed. And then I started my own. And what when we started, we basically just started a, a design agency. And I always wanted to build this tech and kind of built it and tested it for about two years while I was doing the design agency in downtown Los Angeles. We had a small batch factory and a design agency. The moment I started going out and trying to raise, I didn't have a MVP. We have our MVP now, which is if you go to modernbrands.com, you're looking at our MVP. So don't be too harsh. We don't love it either. <laughs> I started to raise and I, it just was awful to be really honest. Like I spent so much time 
A, I think I'm a woman, I'm in fashion. So there I get pegged into this like very specific market first. And then the next thing that happens is most people just have no idea what happens in the fashion industry. So I spend, you know, my 15 minutes with every associate that gets handed to me just explaining what pattern making is. And I never really get to the the crux of, of any of it. And this was also pre-pandemic. So 3D fashion hadn't really even hit even any sort of top of the iceberg mainstream yet. And now that, you know, we had the pandemic and everybody went home and 3D fashion's become a thing and Fashion Week was canceled and everybody's like doing it now. It's like everybody kind of gets it. But back then it was a little rough. People were like, what? We don't know what you're talking about. And I, I had people even that were D2C brand companies that I thought would really jump on board with this and really get it kind of tell me, well, what do you mean you're making templates? Can't you just go online and get that? And I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> it was rough. And I and I quit. I just decided, you know what? I'm in an agency and I, I made a million dollars in 18 months and I can pay for it myself. And that's what I did until I got to MVP. And then now I'm, I'm raising it. <laughs> so, but you know what happens when you get to MVP? You get to MVP, everybody's like, ah, you're too early. You don't have anything yet. Get to something. Then you go out and you're like, okay, I got my MVP. We know it's not awesome, but we're, we're going we're gonna to make it better as we go. We got to get that user feedback. And then they're like, ah, I don't think this is quite there. You don't have quite enough users yet. So it's like that kind of thing happens in fundraising a lot where you're always getting like the next carrot and you're like, I did it. And they're like, not yet. But I had a couple bad ones. I don't want to like dig into that. Most people have been really nice to go back to. And these people were somebody I went back to, not even intending to fundraise, but just to be like, hey, you guys passed on me before. So what do you think now? Like, tell me, <laughs> tell me why you passed and tell me if this fixed the problem. And then they ended up investing. And I love them. So it was great. They're just a perfect fit for who we are and what we're doing. So yeah, that's kind of how, how that, that went which is so annoying to hear when you're trying to raise money, I know. And you're leaving out one of the options that that is a really irritating option. The one where it's like, oh, well, you have too many users. We want to be with someone that doesn't actually have any paying customers. It's like you can't win. <laughs> There's like no win. I think the only way you can win with ease is when you are so in demand that everyone is vying for you, it becomes like a competition of who gets you. I feel like it's like the Richard Branson, Coca-Cola versus Pepsi early in his career. I forget which one, but he like called Coca-Cola or Pepsi and said, oh, I have a deal with like the other one. So if you want to work with me, like he like pitted them against one another or something. And I feel like that's the time it becomes like maybe people will not give you all these like roundabout, you know, like wild goose chase questions, but, or like assumptions, they'll just, yeah, yeah, let us get in, let us have it. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. It is for me, like, I think putting that face on and being like personable and like not saying the wrong thing, like it felt like such another language to me. And I still don't think I have it. But what I kind of have deduced and, and gotten to now that I just made the money and built it myself is I was like, I don't really have to, you know, like, 
you're either going to get me or you're not. And if you don't get me, at least we're figuring it out in 15 minutes. It took me though, like probably a whole year to get myself there. So it sounds really healthy now, but it wasn't so healthy in the beginning. I was like, why don't they like me? (laughs) I know that feeling. Are you from LA originally? I'm not. I'm from Denver. And then I moved to LA. I don't know. I moved to New York. And then I was New York, LA, New York, LA. And then I moved to LA. And what made you choose LA? What inspired the move to LA? Um, Mostly just LA is still a great manufacturing sector. And so I moved here with a startup I was working for that was also in apparel. It's still got, even outside of New York, New York has great like small fashion factories and a lot of stuff going on. But LA is just, there. there's something special here still that the rest of the country um, doesn't have as far as manufacturing. It's, it's still got some stuff. Drives me crazy sometimes. But, <laughs> and yeah, if sorry, some, no, no, please. <laughs> and if someone was going to land in LA today for tech to get involved to create a startup, what would you suggest they do? Where should they go? What resource can they find to help propel them in their career? Oh, you know, I don't know. LA Tech, honestly, like I found you and I was so excited because I feel like unless you're like gonna go bro down in Santa Monica forever, it's it's a little bit harder to find people than it was in New York and Denver. LA is so spread out, you know, where you got like Culver City and Santa Monica and Manhattan Beach. And we have all these different places that are all like little cities in itself. And it's not like there's one place to kind of go. But I do think Twitter's great. I think, um, you know, just connecting with people uh, through, I, I met a bunch of founders through some event. What was it? Oh, it was like a a YC thing that I went to and then decided that wasn't for me, but I met some cool founders (laughs) there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I also have this really weird experience where I came out here specifically for fashion industry stuff. So I've been a lot in my own lane out here. So it was really exciting to find what you're doing, which is bringing a lot of people together. It's, it's been awesome. Awesome. Yay. I'm so happy. Thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah, of course. And, you know, LA is such a big place. So I love to ask, like, what is a hike that you recommend that we go on? I've come from Colorado. So hiking in LA is a little weird for me. It feels like, you know, you're just walking down a desert, beating hot sun trail. I'm like, why are we doing this? Let's go get drinks. So I, I, I'm not much of a hiker. I will tell you, I lived in LA for like, three, four years without a car. And I worked downtown in the fashion district. So I was, I I was walking to the expo line all the time. So that's my, that's my LA hiking experience. I often ride my bike down Venice. So that's pretty hardcore, right? I think think it's important that you get out and get away from the computer. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. What restaurant do you recommend? By the way, I'm not a person that eats out very often, but I have to tell you, I feel like I have this epic cheat sheet from the We Are LA Tech podcast of amazing restaurants that I must eat at. And it is quite fun. I'm like, oh, wow. Like for someone that's not a foodie, that like I feel like I could have the most amazing foodie adventure by just the restaurants I've heard on the podcast. That's awesome. You should share that. Yeah, I I, that, I'm working uh, on it. I want to see it. it. Yeah, I'm de- I, that is <laughs> okay. literally what I'm working on right now. 
You're going to totally hate my answer because I cannot tell you the name of the restaurant because it was in Korean and I have no idea. Where is it? Yeah. I went to a restaurant. It's somewhere in Koreatown. I just have to tell you the story. And and, then that's it. I went to this restaurant in Koreatown with a supplier, somebody who, you know, worked in an apparel factory. He owned the factory and he wanted to take me out for real Korean food bet me that I wouldn't eat it with him. And I was like, oh, you don't know me very well. Uh, I'll eat anything. And we get out to this restaurant and it's this amazing, like seriously, like in a strip mall, hole in the wall, seafood place. And we ate so much fresh seafood. It was awesome. And it wasn't just fresh, like we ate live seafood. Like I ate a shrimp while it was looking at me and it was alive and I still ate it. And it was... (laughs) phenomenal it was so good it was so awesome wow. I know this and, and the octopus was moved it was moving on the plate and it it like sucked onto my tongue as I was chewing it what? and that the sounds F? bad but insane. It, seriously it was so good but I have no idea where it was and then he put me in a car with some guy who drove me to the airport this was before I moved here and this guy like was involved in trading wheat cows for he was like involved in some beef trading scheme and it was awesome (laughs) okay if you ever pass by this restaurant again and you happen to remember that we had message me please yeah but how am i gonna do that because you take a a picture no just take a picture send me the picture no like i'll try no 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 like the same no like if if somehow you happen to you're like, that's it. Just like take a photo. <laughs> if somehow I find this magical place again, I will probably never tell anyone. <laughs> I believe you. That's it's so funny. <laughs> and last but not least, an LA tech talent or company you've come across who's really impressed you. Okay. So she used to live in LA, I believe. And, or, or maybe it was Palm Springs, but it was somewhere in LA. Lita Health. Have you heard of Lita Health? Mm-mm. Lita Health was started um, by Madison and Liesl. I think Liesl's on the East Coast. Madison used to live here, but then has since moved, I think, to Vegas. They started a company that, it, it, it's a sexual health company, but it's basically uh, where you can purchase a rape kit and then go through the process online of reporting a rape and collecting your own evidence and putting it in a rape kit and sending it in. You get to talk to a nurse, you get to go through the whole process. I think they just went live two days ago, but it's been, as you can imagine, an incredibly long process that they've raised a lot of money. They, they have this amazing idea. It's going to help so many women. And I just, that's, that's one of my top companies right now. What can the community do to support and accelerate modern brands? Um, I think what I would love is I see a lot of people uh, going forward and building a DTC brand or going forward and saying, oh, we want to do merch or we do this. Come talk to me. I can help you build out a better brand than just slapping your logo on a t-shirt. We can do something really cool. You can do leather jackets or, you know, awesome dresses. And other than that, I think just understanding LA is such a unique and awesome place for tech kind of because of all of the non-tech industries that are here. Like I'm not here because of tech. I'm here because of the fashion industry and building tech with that 
And I think that there are so many different avenues in LA that are doing that. And that's why LA is one of the most, for me, it's been one of the most robust communities that we've worked for because it's not all like, you know, deep code or I don't know. There's a lot of room for a lot of different type of people in this community. That's what I'll say. Am I understanding this right? Are you saying with modern brands, we are LA tech can have a sick clothing line? Yes. Yo, yes, I am. You and I need like a follow up conversation because <laughs> we have the we are LA tech <laughs> too. We have the we are LA tech tee, the t shirt, and stickers and all this kind of neat stuff. But like, yeah. We don't have like a sick AF like clothing line. Like I don't I don't think modern brands is for like for the sneakerheads of the world, but I'm a sneakerhead. So I'm super in to like dope fashion. I may not look it. I look like a dork and I can barely dress myself, but I have a high level of appreciation. I'm so into sneakers, it's crazy. You're not a dork. Oh, I'm definitely like, okay, a dork. Go to super dry. <laughs> And walk around and look at a super dry hoodie and you see the labels and the thing on the inside and the big fat draw cord and like the label on the end of the draw cord, like all that stuff. Like that's what makes a fly garment. It's not like going and getting a hoodie and slapping a logo on it. Like that's cool. That's for its thing. But like, how do you make a brand? How do you make Yo. clothing that looks really cool? Yo, we even had on the Women in Tech podcast, we even had uh, a Puma collab. So we collabed with Puma and had hoodies and Puma designed us like a, a awesome. graphic and everything. It was a limited run. And so many women have like, oh, can I get one right now? And I'm like, no, I don't like have a clothing line. It was like a limited run collab with Puma and now it's done. I literally don't have any to sell you. So yeah. Let's make like a really awesome, like Tencel sustainable LA tech tracksuit. Yo, what? This is amazing. Like you don't understand like all the, all these brands, like in the, I mean, I built the first action sports social network. Like, so all these brands, like the hundreds and like Nike SB and like all these, it's like Volcom is like my favorite action sports like ah i would love to have like an amazing like action sports spirited line for we are la tech and for women in tech volcom and ruka did some really cool i love how you know what i'm talking about like really cool i totally know and and i did i did some uh i did some merchandise for some esports stuff um, which was like, I didn't get it at first. Like why are esports dudes sitting around like wearing these like active mesh t-shirts, but they deserve more than just sublimated apparel. Like let's get something cool. Yo. Made. Uh, okay. And we'll discuss. I, uh, that's what we're about. We'll discuss. We'll have a follow-up. That would be insane. I promise you I am a dork and I can't dress myself to save my life. So I need modern brands in order to help me figure this out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you you make the line, you make the clothing line, and then everyone can rep the LA clothing line that you make, and it'll be awesome. And what has been a book that you recommend we all read? It could be personal or professional or both. I read a lot of those, like, you know, business help books, but I don't remember any of them. But there is one book that I read a really long time ago that I'll always remember. It's called The Girl in the Flammable Skirt, and it was these short stories. And they were just weird, quirky short stories that made you think they didn't even really have a, um, a message. But it was things like you woke up one day and you had a hole in the center of your body and you could stick your hand through the hole. And I don't know why that sticks with me. It's just like, 
so what would happen if you woke up and there was a hole in the center of your body? It's weird. Things are going on, but you still have to eat. You still have to go to work the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about, about like all of her stories were kind of written like that. Like, here's this weird thing. And here's what a normal person would just do. And it was like, it would take you to the crest and then kind of drop you off in this weird unknown area. And I, I, I like that for some reason. Nice. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but I definitely recommend it. I dig it. And other than modern brands, of course, what site or app do you recommend is like a must have? You have to check out. You can't live without. It's made your life so much better. Well, obviously, I'm a big fan of like WordPress and Canva. Um, I think Canva is so smart. I I still always use my WordPress for fashion because I'm a huge fan of WordPress, even though it's kind of older tech. I just feel like we would not be with where we are without something like WordPress totally. having come along, you know? Can you share a little bit about what Canva is? Because let's not make the assumption everybody knows. Canva is amazing. I live by it. Yeah, I'm like obsessed with it. So Canva is a graphic design app where you can go in and basically it makes you a graphic designer. You don't have to learn how to do Illustrator. You don't have to learn how to draw. It gives you all of these kind of pre-formatted things where you can just type the words in and they're all structured. And then obviously it can go further, but you can get brochures and website banners. And it's a little better than going somewhere like a creative market because you're not just downloading the file and opening it in your tool. You're actually using the system to, to build it and export it. So um, I think it was built really smart. I saw something on Twitter the other day where somebody was like, oh yeah, and that's probably like when an investor asked Melanie Perkins of Canva, why couldn't people just get Illustrator? You know, like that's probably something people asked her as she was raising money is like, what is the purpose of this? But it, I think it's really helped a lot of people, marketing people especially, get things that they need for their job without having to go through a graphic design process. Like I don't know Photoshop at all. I've had Photoshop in the past. It's very technical. I'm not a designer. I have an eye for design. Like I know when I see good design, but can I create it myself? Most likely not. And so to have Canva take out all the tech out of designing so I could just get to the end part, like is amazing. And you could create videos out of Canva. You could create like the social trailers. I mean, you could just legit, I, yesterday I had to merge a bunch of photos. I use Canva. I made my clubhouse event flyer in Canva. I am so into it. Like, yeah. So if, if you're not using Canva right now, check out Canva and no Canva has not paid either one of us to say this. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's really good. I'm curious, have you been on a podcast before? Um, I have been on a podcast before a long time ago. I have a friend who started a podcast called Successful Fashion Designer. And I was on her podcast a few years ago. And her and I kind of grew up in the industry together. So that was really fun. What is the best way to connect with you? Best way to connect with us is come email me, modernbrands.com. You can also uh, join me on Twitter at T-Rex will eat you. You can come to modernbrands.com and I have a free consult button on the top. You want to talk about your brand, you want to talk about fashion, how to get into production, go through manufacturing, just want to talk about weird Korean food, whatever. (laughs) You can click the button on my website. 
This has been amazing. To connect and collaborate with more incredible people in the LA Tech community, remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at wearelatech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Trisha Ho. I'm the CEO of Modern Brands, which is a WordPress for fashion. Um, I'm based in Culver City, and you are listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.